0: Hey, everyone. It's Liz Kelly, and I want to tell you about the second annual Ringer NBA Palooza on Tuesday, October 16th. We'll be streaming a live marathon countdown to tip off with Bill Simmons and the Ringer NBA crew, featuring live podcasts, special guests, Ringer original shorts, and culminating in a Sixers Celtics watch party. You can check it out live on Tuesday across all of our social media platforms. And don't forget to check out our brand new NBA Palooza merch on the slash shop. Welcome to Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Monday night. It is October 15th. And on the phone right now, I am joined by Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing?
1: I'm good, Tate Frazier. Got a, another high-scoring first quarter here in a, in a 49er game. I apologize for... Recording this Monday, but the book brings me out of town tomorrow for the next couple of days. So I appreciate you working your schedule around for me this week.
0: Absolutely, it's not a problem at all. I can always uh, I can always work around for you, Lombardi. Um, we should say just off the top, uh, like you just mentioned, uh, Monday Night Football is going on right now. So we're not able to look into the future and uh, figure out what actually happens in this game. But uh, a lot of injuries in this game. Obviously, the Packers are trying to bounce back and find their footing. Aaron Rodgers struggling with a lot of uh, guys out that are his receivers, Geronimo. Uh, is obviously out of this game Cobb another guy out of this game Um, and even uh, Devante uh, is is also a guy that's going through an injury right now but and we can talk about the the 49ers defense and all those struggles but uh, Lombardi I think we should just uh, open up at the top here Um, this was news that was just reported not too long ago Uh, and unfortunate news obviously uh, the Microsoft co-founder and the owner of the Seattle Seahawks and also the Portland Trailblazers Paul Allen uh, died today uh, from complications of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, 65 years old. And, and we just wanted to send uh, a note out to to the Allen family and to all those uh, affected by this because he was such a an influential figure in the NFL and uh, obviously in the NBA as well.
1: In sports in general, you know, I mean, this is a man that gave back. Uh, he, he truly was a philanthropist and, you know, he was heavy in the music scene. He felt it was a civic duty to... Uh, to buy the Seahawks. And, and even though I would say he was not as much, he loved basketball more than football. He was a ball about Seattle. And I think that's really, uh, he put his money where his mouth is. And he gave back to a lot of people of uh, Vulcans, uh, it, his, his company that he started there uh, issued a release today. And I, I just, you know, these are terrible. at 65 years old. It's way too young for somebody uh, to, to pass along. And certainly our condolences with the entire Seattle organization and with everybody at Portland Trailblazers as we begin the NBA season this week.
0: And we should say, I mean, there's there's already been uh, an overflow of, uh, of thoughts and prayers that have been sent out. We saw Matt Hasselbeck uh, on Monday Night Football, you know, gave his thoughts. Obviously, it was 10 years there uh, in Seattle as the quarterback for the Seahawks and uh, Bill Gates, uh, just a bunch of names already coming out. Um, Lombardi, we got to talk about uh, the the five performances like we do every single week uh, that jumped out to you. Um, it was Week Six. Uh, there was a lot of Weird things. The heist came back. Brock Osweiler uh, showed back up. So
1: we're very Take excited pleasure. about I that. I got to set the scene for you. So <laughs> so let me not, not I will get to the five. So I started doing on Saturdays and Sundays, Vegas stats and information network has a, a studio where we do a show, a TV show from the oceans casino right here in Atlantic city, right in their sports book. It's incredible. Mm. And when the news leaked out that the heist was coming out, was going to play. I have never seen a sports book as busy as I've seen the Atlantic City, the oceans. It was incredible. There was a line like you couldn't believe it. They must, I thought they were giving away free saltwater taffy so down you're, there.
0: You're saying everyone's betting on Brock at this point. They believe in oh, Brock. It's That's unbelievable.
1: In fact, it was so <laughs> unbelievable that William Hill, who runs the book there, 80% of the action mm. was all on the, the Bears.
0: The Bears. Yes.
1: And you know that I and I took that I, I wanted Miami and, and, and trust me, I was a coward. I was I was running off Miami as soon as I heard the, the, the heist news. You know, I tweeted it out and our and our official scorekeeper was like, no, 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 you can't take the You can't take it back this week. You can't take it back. Brian said, no, no, you can't take it back on Twitter. It's like, well, everybody said Lombardi said this. He said, no, no, you can't take it back. So obviously I couldn't take it back. It helped me be four and one on the week. No big deal. But anyway, so the book, Tate Frazier, was incredible. You have to come back. And and even if you just don't even place a bet just to sit there and listen to the Jerseyites talk about football, it, it really is almost the most amazing thing I have ever listened to in it, my life.
0: It's all inspiring. I can only imagine uh, what it's like. It, it it's, was great. Yeah, I, uh, the guys, the the four guys
1: behind me were like, "Why don't you just run the ball? Jesus Christ, you get twelve yards every time you run it. It's so good. It was hilarious. I mean, and Millie's sitting next to me, like, and she's elbowing me. Don't start with these people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't start with them. And I'm like, oh my god, this is too good. I mean, it was priceless.
0: You sound like a man that's back in his uh, in his element oh, I'm in all the my way. Groove, yeah, yeah, all way. the way. Yeah. I'm very oh, happy. It's
1: so, it's so good. I, I go to Wawa every day. You don't even know what Wawa <laughs> no, is. I don't. Wawa is a local local. It's like Seven Eleven. That's that's around here. You know, there, there's one on every corner. It's the it's the greatest.
0: I'm just so, anyway, so ha- I'm just so but, happy but, for but you, I to
1: that. anybody who's in the area. They want to come watch football on Sunday <laughs> with me. Please feel free. It's the new Tony piece for me. It's incredible. They got some screens and you can listen to the commentary. I was in
0: heaven. Well, we know Tony P. Uh, definitely is missing you this season, but uh, but I'm happy all things are working out on the East Coast. Let's get to these five performances that jumped out to you this week. The first is probably the biggest storyline and something that we talked about uh, as soon as it happened. Obviously, it is uh, the $100 million man that's John Gruden and... Um, and they go over to London for the first time. They, they pretty much, you know, no show um, there. And, and the Seahawks uh, get the big win. Um, Bruce Irvin after the game, said he was just happy to go home to his wife, wanted to make some babies. Uh, John Gruden seemed to be very frustrated uh, with, with Derek Carr at times, something that we have uh, continued to see this season, a theme at this point. Uh, Amari Cooper was rumored to be on the trade block, apparently for a first-round pick. Um, all this is swirling in Oakland. And, and John Gruden, after the game, said they would not lay down. That's not what they're going to do in Oakland. Uh, but right now, they're 1-5. Their one win was an overtime win over the Cleveland Browns, we remember. Um, and, and it looks like a lot of people are pointing, are the Raiders are just going to go through a rebuild at this point and just build from the ground up, knowing that Gruden's going to be there for the long haul?
1: Well, I, I think here's the fundamental issue, Tate Fraser. So Gruden can say all that he wants to say about rebuild and all that, but when you have a franchise quarterback, you're never in rebuild mode. You're in repair mode. I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers, he's a franchise quarterback. And the Packers' talent around them, I would say, is not very good, especially at the receiver position. And we see him do things that makes things stand out. Their talent level's not very good at all in Green Bay. So what the problem is, the fundamental issue here is, is the problem is simply this. Is is Gruden saying, with all those words that he's saying and not saying, is the fact that he doesn't have a franchise quarterback. And, you know, Derek Carr has this mythology attached to him that he's a, a Darryl or Monica throw the ball down the field guy. He's never averaged over seven yards uh, yards per attempt ever in his career after a season. Now, there's times in his games he's done it, but as a whole, he's never done it after the season, uh, through the whole season. So he's never been a bad bomber. And you can just see John Gruden on the sidelines so frustrated. You can see how how disappointed he is, because I really believe Gruden thought when he took this job, he had a franchise quarterback. Today, he realizes he doesn't have one.
0: So what is that? You know, what is that next situation? What is that next scenario? If you are John Gruden, if he, in his mind, has identified the fact that Derek Carr is not his franchise quarterback, he is not the quarterback uh, that he thought he was when he took this job. uh, Does that mean that Derek Carr is a guy that is on the trading block? And you know, maybe there there is a ripple effect where a team like, say, the Jacksonville Jaguars or the New York Giants or
1: insert any of these. (laughs) Jacksonville doesn't need a quarterback. We know this. You've already know this. Jacksonville does not need a quarterback.
0: I do. I do remember that Blake Bortles is there. I, I'm sorry, okay, I slipped my let's mind. Continue for a the let's yeah, continue but, on the Raiders. Yeah, but, but but do we get to that point? Because obviously the Cooper rumor comes out. Um, we've obviously seen you know Khalil Mack was a guy that came in the same draft as Derek Carr. He was shipped out to Chicago. Um, that was a big storyline of the season. Um, and, and then you see some of the young guys on their team, like an Arden Key, have a few big plays. But for the most part, they've struggled with the pass rush. Uh, Carr, like you said, has not been able to get the ball down the field. Cooper has not been able to be a star that they hoped he would be at one point. Um, just overall, you know, I mean, what what is the next step for the Raiders? Do they just accept that this is a lost year at this point, and they try to do something in the draft, or or do they try to make a drastic change?
1: I, I think this is a really critical moment in John Gruden's career because he's got a, hes the general manager of the team. We know Reggie McKenzie has the title, but he's the general manager of the team, and this and now he's this job is way harder than he thought it was. Mm. It's really way harder. When you don't have a quarterback, being a general manager in the National Football League is probably the hardest job because you got to figure out a way to get a quarterback. And then when you're flying home from London and you're sitting on the airplane and you're watching Patrick Mahomes, who you have to beat twice a year, just to even get into the dance, you're saying, how am I going to get that? What am I going to do? And you can complain all you want about everything, but the reality of it is, is if you don't have somebody that can match with him, how are you going to be able to compete? And I think that's the challenge. And John has never been, look, there's a lot of things we all have to understand. The strengths that we all possess and the weaknesses we possess, we have to know them. It's the key to leadership. You know, you bring people in to surround yourself that can do things that you're not good at. John is not a great talent evaluator. John is very inconsistent with his talent evaluations. John is a reactionary talent evaluator. John falls in and out of love with players on a continual basis. I'm not saying this as a, as, a, as a hypothesis or or some instinct that I have. No, no, no. I've been around John. I know John probably as well as any human being. I wrote about him in my book. I know how John motivates himself. I know how John behaves because I was with him for a long time. And his strength isn't in personnel. That's not his area of expertise. He better find himself, somebody that can come in and deal with him as a whole And then somebody who's really sharp and can figure out a way to get player personnel in there at a high level. It's not Reggie McKenzie because what's happening now is they're talking about all the bad drafts, which they have been horrendous. Let's face it. Carl Joseph, first round pick. He's not even starting. DJ Hayden, the first round pick. He's on another team. I mean, so this is not about bashing Reggie McKenzie, nor trying to say John Gruden's right. This is about what's going to happen moving forward. And they don't have enough talent right now.
0: And we've gotten to the point, I mean, the Raiders now are pretty much going nowhere fast, uh, very quickly at this point. Uh, I mean, and you just think about the fact that two years ago at this time, Raiders were, you know, 6-2, and two, on their way to 12-4, and four. Derek Carr, uh, you know, people were clamoring for him to be the MVP at that point. Uh, you know, things have just changed uh, very, very rapidly if you are a, or a fan of the Raiders at this point or if you kept up with this team. And uh, for, for the most part, you know, we can tell that, that Gruden is making all these decisions and and. and you know, there's always been problems with that. We've seen it in basketball when Doc Rivers is coaching. But I, the, the conflict between being a personnel and making personnel decisions and also being a football coach or a coach of a basketball team or coach of any team, uh, it, you, you're at odds with yourself a lot of the times and you have to make a lot of tough decisions. And we're seeing that Gruden's, you know, ha- having to do that in year one, which uh, he probably didn't think was going to be the case, having Carr uh, and some of those other guys in tow when he got there.
1: Yeah, look, he's starting two rookie tackles, and the two, the, both of those rookies aren't playing very well. Colton Miller, the left tackle, mm. might be a good player down the line. I mean, Tom Cable probably thinks he's going to be a good player because he's athletic, can't handle any power. I mean, the right tackle, they drafted this year, he's not playing very well, which is understandable. Rookie tackles don't play well. So the offensive line, they got all this money tied up in the centers and guards. You know, Amari Cooper, I don't think they think Amari Cooper has got great passion for the sport. I don't think they think he loves football. I think that's what I'm hearing coming out of that building. I think they're worried about his contract moving forward. It doesn't sound like they're any interested in giving him that kind of deal. So they're going to tear this thing down, and that's no problem. But the problem is when you tear down, you don't have a quarterback. You're in a lot of trouble. You're facing a lot of hard reality, and I think that's what it's going. And, he, you know, you and I have talked about this so often. You need... It takes talent to evaluate talent. This is not about just getting a high draft pick. This is not just doing the process so we can pick a high pick, right? This is about finding the players that you got to find. And I think that's going to be the hardest challenge. They got to find somebody that they can come in there that's compatible with John that'll tell John no, right? You got to tell John no. And that's going to be a hard thing to do because John is an intimidating guy. And you got to be able to stand up and say, no, John, that ain't right, Matt. We can't do that.
0: Well, it's hard to and, do that when he when he smacks you with a, a wad of cash, right? No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. We I mean,
1: that. if you're just going to have people around you that tells you what you want to hear, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, John is the, John is the general manager is going to get John, the head coach, in a lot of trouble. And he's got to separate church and state here. And if he doesn't do it, it's not going to work out for him. And he's got to take the approach. Look, take the long lens. You're going to have to find a quarterback in the rounds, in the middle rounds. I mean, I think the same thing's happening with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Their defense is atrocious. Their personnel on defense is atrocious. Now, people say, oh, he's got John Lynch there. John Lynch has never been a general manager in the National Football League before. John Lynch never went on the road scouting before. John Lynch is learning on the job. That isn't like he's going to walk into Kyle's office and say, look, you know, when I worked for this guy, we did that. No, 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 no. That ain't happening. I like John Lynch. John Lynch's a great guy. I hope he has great success. I'm not bashing him. Just saying he ain't telling Kyle what to do. Kyle's telling John what to do. And their team reflects that. And that's the problem.
0: And, you know, we get in a lot of sticky situations with that stuff. And obviously, you know, a lot of focus on the Bay here. Well, you know, Uh, it's
1: funny. You see it in basketball too. Look at Thibodeau mm -hmm. at Minnesota. Yep. You know, he's got all the power and he trades for Jimmy Butler. People know Jimmy Butler's got a bad knee. People know Jimmy Butler's not really a kind of guy that, People want to endear themselves to. And so, you know, but yet he trades for them. And now they're going to dump them in a fire cell.
0: Well, and it's also, I mean, Tibbs, the coach, loves Jimmy, and Tibbs, the personnel guy, knows that Jimmy wants out. So uh, it's always a conflict of interest when you get to that level, um, and we're seeing it in Oakland right now. Let's get to uh, the the next game, probably the most the game that we were most excited to watch this weekend, and a game that uh, people are really uh, keeping keeping an eye on, just to see if Pat Mahomes. You talked about identifying talent uh, and having a lens for the future. That's exactly what the Kansas City Chiefs did with Andy Reid. Uh, they they identified Pat Mahomes, they brought him in, they made him their quarterback. And then we get to the point uh, just just a year later after, you know, Alex Smith was so great last year to open the season against the Patriots. uh, Now they have Mahomes. Mahomes is staring down Tom Brady Um, and and it was a complete shootout. And it and it never felt like the Chiefs were really out of this game, despite uh, being down 15 points at the half. Even Bill Belichick at halftime said uh, that they needed to score more points because he knew the Chiefs were going to come back in the second half. Uh, and, And just looking at this game, Lombardi, it looked like two teams that were the class of the AFC going at each other.
1: Yeah, and and you know, even though the the Patriots won, you almost felt like that wasn't really a win because look, they gained 500 yards of offense, right? Mm-hmm. So they the 500 they don't have a penalty in the game, right? They have one turnover. They never punt, and it takes a last second field goal to beat the Chiefs. They get a 24 to nine lead at the half, and their game plan I thought was perfect in the first half. They came into the game and said, "Look, we're going to jam Kelsey. We're going to jam him at the line. We're high towers going all over wherever he goes." you know, now Hightower made some plays in that game, but I think you could see some of the deficiencies in Hightower trying to run around trying to make plays. He played well, you know, we got, got the two got the interception and forced the and forced the other one, but I think you could see his limitations in terms of his ability to to run and cover. And the Chiefs had him on that on that one-wheel on the one seam route down the field, but the game plan I thought was perfect in the first half. Hold, play good in the red zone, make Mahomes throw the ball before he really wants to throw it before he can get his feet set. And then, you know, we're going to do good in the red air. We're going to run the ball. We're going to dominate. And they did. The second half, it all went to hell on the 67-yard touchdown pass to Kareem Hunt, who they just dropped the coverage. And they started blowing coverages, and they started letting free-access guys. And to me, you know, the Patriots really were fortunate. The battle tested tough, but you knew whoever had the ball last night game was going to win.
0: And that's pretty much what it came down to. And uh, You mentioned the Dante Hightower interception. I thought that was an interesting play to kind of highlight what the Patriots were doing in the first half. And, you know, we talked about McVay uh, and how on offense he's attacking a defense. We saw Belichick do, uh, you know, the opposite of that, but with defense and attacking Pat Mahomes where they were you know, crowding the line. They were giving him different looks at the line. And then that Hightower pick was Hightower coming up, looking like he's going to come on a blitz. And then he drops back into coverage and gets that interception. So we, we saw that earlier in the game. And, and Belichick seemed to attack Mahomes. But in the second half, for whatever reason, uh, maybe some of those things just didn't quite work as well. But Mahomes seemed to find a rhythm and. And really, just kind of got it together and looked like a you know a seasoned vet against that Pat's, uh, that Pat's defense down the stretch.
1: But he won the game with a blitz. I mean, one thing they did do, and I tweeted this out in the third quarter. I said, whoever punts in the fourth quarter loses. A- and the three and out in the fourth quarter by the Chiefs. Now the Chiefs only had the ball ten minutes in the entire freaking half. Tate Frazier, <laughs> they only had the ball ten minutes in the entire half. They scored thirty-one points. Do you know how hard that is to score thirty-one points in ten minutes? It's pretty I mean, hard. That's impossible. Yeah. I mean, and yet they did it. And and so. But they had, and they had a three and out in the game. They had a three and out and and that cost them. And that blitz where Tyreek Hill's running down the field, that blitz forced Mahomes to throw the ball off his back foot. And it was a little bit short, should have been picked off. Mm -hmm. And that essentially that call won the game because all of all the other things that happened, that call kind of won the game. And the fact that they gave up so many big plays, they got the ball back the the fourth quarter. The Patriots had the ball 11 minutes in the fourth quarter. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to, you know, they were able to control the clock, but unfortunately they couldn't stop the big plays. If they would have controlled the clock without the big plays, they could have added to that 24 to nine lead. But for me watching the game, I think the Patriots have to continue to try to play complementary defense. I don't think there's any chance they're going to be able to ever get good enough on defense to slow it down. They got to win with their offense. And we talked about this about a month ago, and now they are winning with their offense.
0: And we saw, I mean, Gronkowski came back in this game. I mean, in the fourth quarter, Gronkowski had the the, the 40-yard catch, the 42-yard catch, and and it it seemed like... When they needed to to focus and hone in on you know who they were as a team and find their identity, they still have Gronkowski there, and, and Tom Brady still has you know the safety blanket of Gronkowski. He tried to involve Josh Gordon a lot in this game, and there were some some times where they were completely uh, off base. But it is good and encouraging if you were a fan of Josh Gordon with the Patriots, because Tom Brady seems fixated on getting him involved in the offense. So th- those are some positive signs. Uh, you no, know, if no you are, a Patriots I mean, fan. they
1: do. They got him in there. You can see what they're going to run with him. He's going to be the slant runner, catch the inside slants, the vertical run. Down the field, I'm sure next week he'll catch some dig inside dig routes. I'm sure he'll do that, and he'll be able to do that. But what I, I talked about this on Twitter, and I and I and I think people don't understand it because Chris Collinsworth, you know, has never been a really in, inside the Patriots' office to, offices to understand really what Brady does at the line of scrimmage. Last night on TV, Collinsworth was talking about, well, he just extends the receiver out there. So whenever he puts James White outside, see this—that's called an indicator. All he's trying to do is collect information. So Brady extends James White outside past the formation. If the linebacker goes out with him, Brady believes with probably 90-degree certainty it's going to be a man coverage. Mm. When he comes back inside, he resets him and starts again. And then he starts working on what he wants to run based on the game plan that they put together, Josh McDaniels and him. Does he want to change from a run to a pass? Pass to a run. The play that he calls with Gronk, when Gronk's in their block and they fake the toss to the right and Trent Brown blocks the guy who's supposed to cover Gronk, and Gronk guns down the field to get the first down. Huge call. The fact that they can execute that so quickly just off the sideline is remarkable. But Brady is able to understand what's going on at the line of scrimmage. He recognizes the front. He repoints the mic call. He then changes the play to the play that's going to be the perfect play against a defense that he's already been prepared for. It's just really remarkable. And he does it by collecting information with motions and shifts and looking at, the, looking at the Mike linebacker's eyes, he can tell who's coming, who's not, and who's going to block him. And rarely can you fool the guy. And he was on his game last night. He was really intellectually on his game.
0: And he fooled Breland Speaks last night too. That was that was another storyline that came out of this and, and brought it all back to the roughing the passer situation and, and what yeah, kind but, you of? you know,
1: Tate Frazier, I mean, people are making a big deal out of this fucking thing. I mean, like the reality of it is is, is it was that, that was it would have been first and goal at the one. So mm-hmm. if Brady wouldn't have got in the end zone, they had three more plays to get it in. They got there was a penalty on the call. There it, was a lead, there was there was a defensive holding call. Say say Speaks would have just would have tackled him, right? It was a fucking defensive holding call, and it first and goal with the one. What did what that what, what that would have done? Is eat another thirty seconds off the clock, and, <laughs> you know? And then Brady it just would, would have jumped up and put the ball, to Brady.
0: yeah, and broke the plane, and, and it would have been a touchdown right after that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it it just became you know I, as always Lombardi. There's always a flag or a talking point to. Uh, to point to, yeah, when it comes that, to the that it doesn't
1: stop. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of good shit going on in that game, especially what the Chiefs are doing with their offense. I mean, the Chiefs clearly their game plan was to go after Hightower. Mm-hmm. That, their their game plan was to get their running backs involved, and then their game plan was: look, the Patriots' game plan was we're going to take Kelsey away, we're going to stop the big play, and they adjusted. And the you know the Patriots played as well as they can play and held on. Now, what's going to happen as we move forward? I don't know, but if these two teams play again and it's in Kansas City, you know the Patriots aren't going to win there. I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to be really hard to win there. The Chiefs just have to get some form of complementary defense better. They were doing it earlier in the year because they were good on third down, but last night they weren't.
0: And uh, it it is something to keep an eye on as we move forward, just to see how this Chiefs team uh, continues to build off that loss. It it was in the best way that you can put it, an inspiring loss if you were a Chiefs fan, uh, as crazy oh, as that is Oh, there's no doubt. Say. Look,
1: they played a tough game the week before against Jacksonville. They dominated Jacksonville. The week before that, they played a tough game in Denver, had to come back. Now they're back on the road. Hey, what the Chiefs are doing here, even though through a loss, we went to Green Bay in 2014 and lost. That was more important for us, to, that game, even though we lost it, than anything. I mean, so it, these things can help build. it. It's week six of the season. These are going to build you up, and Mahomes is going to learn from it. I mean, that's a great teaching tape for Andy Reid. To, to, to go over with Patrick Mahomes to talk about the things he saw, the way Belichick was standing everybody up, that even though they wore a defensive lineman jersey, they were standing up. The offensive line couldn't do it. Nobody really talked about it. The Chiefs were playing their 6th and 7th lineman. Mitch Morris gets hurt. The, the, the Canadian kid, up. he's already on IR, so they had two new starters. Jordan Debbie was a former former Patriot player that got cut. traded. He got traded to San Francisco, but he ended up blocking them in there. They couldn't get pressure on that. And I didn't think the Patriots did a great job of keeping them in the pocket, which was a huge issue, and that's why Mahomes was able to make plays. So it's a, it's a, it, to me, it's a teaching tape for both teams. Both teams are going to teach off that the Patriots' defense and the Patriot and and Kansas City's offense, and of course the, the Kansas City defense. The other thing I think that that was the Patriots are really probably really pissed off about today is they spend so much freaking time on special teams. No team spends as much time on special teams as the Patriots do, and to give up that play the long touchdown pass mm. was the long kick return that didn't rescore. It's just too hard.
0: That's always tough. But in the words of Rasheed Wallace, both teams played hard and, uh, you know, everyone's a winner in this one and If once they look at the tape. We can all learn some lessons. Uh, that was not the only shootout in the AFC this weekend. Uh, we had the Cincinnati Bengals and the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that uh, looks to be bouncing back at this point, and and after the game, Big Ben even said and hinted the, at the fact that that would be James Connors' uh, you know, last game of the season as the starter, because Le'Veon Bell would be back. Um, he is still not reported to camp in Pittsburgh, so for right now, that's all fodder, but that was the, the big storyline coming out of there, but this game uh, was a really, really good game, back and forth game. Andy Dalton uh, came down, led a nice drive for a touchdown and, and Joe Mixon scores and Bengals fans are celebrating. It's, it's 21-20, 118 on the clock, but Lombardi, as we've said plenty of times on this program, they just left too much time and Big Ben comes back, throws it to Antonio Brown, gets the touchdown to win the game. Ripped the heart out of the Bengals fans and yet again, the, the Bengals weren't able to close out a game and now uh, the, the Steelers are closing in on, on the AFC North and they have a real chance to uh, to make a run for this thing.
1: I mean, they're getting better, right? The Steelers are definitely getting better on defense. There's no doubt about that. But I think, look, when you see this thing, you know they're they're, they're snapping the ball when they were down 20 to 14 first and ten, they're snapping the ball uh, with, with like 17 seconds left on the play clock. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know you got to be managing the game. I mean this is clearly really on you, you have to when you're in that situation, we've talked about this way too many times on GM Street, is you got to be in that situation. you got to be smart about scoring, but you also got to be smart about not giving them too much time. And, 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 you know, Cincinnati just kept, sna- I mean, it's one thing, like when you watch that drive at the end of the Patriot game, Did you ever get the sense that the Patriots were in a rush? No.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can just tell just in the two-minute offense in general. I mean, just watch, look at the difference between the Buccaneers and how Jameis was handling the two-minute, then watch the the Patriots. You know what I mean? You can just see the distinct difference. And it's a calm, cool composure. Even though we're moving with speed, we're not rushing ourselves versus completely just rushing and running all over the The place.
1: The Patriots went into the huddle. They were in the huddle. They were actually, they wanted the clock to go. They wanted that clock to get, they got a first down before they got, you know, after the two-minute warning, they got the first down, and they kept going. Meanwhile, you know, everybody's in a rush. Everybody's panicked. And, and you know, to me, this is Cincinnati's fault. I mean, as soon as they scored to make it 20-14, to 14, you knew, you knew right that there was a good chance that they were going to come back. and You just knew it. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially considering that the trend there in, in Cincinnati is is that the Pittsburgh usually wins. Big Ben is very good playing in his home state.
0: Always, always good in Ohio, and I mean, we should say that four of the past five games in that series has been decided by one score. so if it felt like deja vu, in a sense, it really was, because that's how it's been. Uh, it's been back and forth uh, with the Bengals and the Steelers uh, across the board. Tyler Boyd uh, is a guy we should give a shout-out in that game. He was great, um, has continued He's to be great. He's been good all year. I mean, yep. that
1: Cincinnati offense, you know, has been really good all season. I think Mixon gives them a dimension. Their offensive line has played better at times. I mean, look. The reality of it is, is they can't cover. And anybody that wants to argue that it was a pick play on the touchdown was is really, really wrong. They blew, the, they really blew the in and out coverage there, and that was really on Cincinnati more than it was on a legal play. You can't blame that play. I mean, that really was their play. Zero coverage, and the, the corner and the, the two corners didn't get it right. So you know, it, that the problem again here's the issue. The issue was how they managed the clock at the end, not the call.
0: I, I do have to say this just uh, just to ask you a question about uh, you you talked about you know it's a it's a teaching moment for Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs to lose that game to the Patriots but this Bengals team for whatever reason they're almost similar in a similar vein to the Chargers they seem to always have something go wrong whatever could go wrong does go wrong at some point point. Um, and what. How are you able to bounce back continually if you're the Bengals? Is this something that's a defeating loss? Obviously, it's not an inspiring loss, but can they move forward and continue playing the way that they have so far this season? Or is this something that will set them back and and bring back those old demons almost?
1: Well, you know, that's a good question when it comes to Cincinnati, because every time it gets to a close game, there seems like the details just don't get ironed out. Mm -hmm. And they just never go away. They come back and haunt you every single time. And those details are the difference between winning and losing. And you got to learn from them and you got to correct them. You know, I mean, look, the Patriots had no penalties in the game. I mean, that's freaking rare. You know, those details are so important. That's how you win. The third and one's so important. That's how you win games. And when you don't do it, that's how you lose games. I think that's, look, look at, look at Houston. Houston's horrendous on the details. I mean, Houston's trying to give the game away to Buffalo. They're trying like hell. Now Buffalo puts in, Nathan puts Peterman. in, uh, Peterman. Yep. And of course they can't wait to give the game away. I mean, he throws a touchdown pass, but they can't wait to give the game away.
0: Well, he threw a couple touchdown passes, unfortunately, to the wrong end zone the second time, but uh our, our boy Peterman, he just comes in and always delivers. it's they can't always not Peterman
1: back in a game. There's no way, Tate Bridge you can put <laughs> Peterman back in a game. Nobody's going to have – but poor kid, nobody's going to have any confidence.
0: Yeah, I think he's got the yips. He's got the uh, – like like what Schaub got, the Lone got. Once you throw that one-pick-six on that out route, it seems like every single time you throw it, uh, there's a corner that's trying to bait it and read it. And uh, it happened again to Nathan Peterman, unfortunately. And
1: you, and you got to know not to throw it, right? I mean, you got to know, like, like not let's not throw the ball – on the outside part of the field because they get picked off. Right, you got to be smart about it. Right, you got to know who you're dealing with. Yeah,
0: or have the arm straight to get it there. You know, that's really what it comes down to at some level, too. Um, so, unfortunately for Nathan Peterman, it did not go well. We got to talk about a guy that uh, we we have to give our due uh, our due credit here because you know we do like to make jokes here on GM Street at times. But the Clapper and the Cowboys, they are back. Michael Lombardi, do you know this? <laughs> did you hear this? They are back. They did I, I, it. They, I did. I heard they, it. They, they shut know, down you know, the Jaguars. I was impressed
1: with that game. I was impressed watching that game. I thought that Dallas, finally, for the first time, actually took some Mississippi State concepts that Dak Prescott ran and utilized, and they let him use his feet. I mean, look, I don't think Dallas has great skill whatsoever, and we've talked about this many times on GM Street, but they've got enough skill that they should be better than what they are. And at least by letting him move with his feet, I thought they were way more effective.
0: And Dak Prescott, uh in this game, he ro- rushes for 11 carries, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, also 17 of 27, 183 yards and two touchdowns. Zeke Elliott was great in this game as well. 24 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, it, it just seemed like... Are, they were actually the Rams' offense, right? We, we finally saw, like what Jerry said.
1: Actually, they did. They looked a little bit like when you put 40 on anybody, you look like the Rams' offense. The I play mean, action. You know, Elliott's going to get yeah. your yards. I think there's no doubt about that. And the, and, and you know what, what happened in that game? Jacksonville lost its will. I think Jacksonville is having the, not the Super Bowl hangover. I think they're having the we're good hangover. Like that, Jacksonville's lost their will. And if you watch the beginning of the game, Jacksonville's defense was playing a little bit better But then as things started to go and as my man started to show his colors and he couldn't get a first down on third and two, got a ball batted down, I just think their defense loses its will and says, fuck it, we can't do it. This is it. We just can't do it.
0: Well, it's not very inspiring when you can see that you're. I mean, there there were some shots at the bench with the Jaguars and you know people throwing their hands up, uh, you know, <laughs> reacting to to some of the passes from Blake Bortles, which is always tough to see. Uh, I do want to mention one more thing for the Cowboys: Cole Beasley in this game it was great. Nine receptions, 101 yards, two touchdowns. Oh, he was
1: great. They never covered him. I mean, yep. uh, AJ, Bowie couldn't cover. Him. Like they never doubled him. They never took him away. They never like game plan said, oh, wait, we got we got to like knock down on this. It's like, it's like Tennessee. Like, they never really figured out that Joe Flacco is 64% quarterback rating when he faces the Blitz on third down. And yet you don't put pressure on him. And he's, com- and he's converting third downs at like a record pace. I mean, at some point you're watching the same game. I mean, you got to make an adjustment. Like, we got to take Beasley out of this freaking game, right? We mm-hmm. got to take Beasley away. And they never did that. And so, you know, they got what they deserved. You know what would be a fascinating, you know, Jocena Anderson gets the interview with Odell Beckham, right? <laughs> I mean, that thing's, been, that thing's still going on. Can you imagine if somebody gets an interview with Jalen Ramsey and says, okay, nothing about the NFL. Talk to us about Blake Bortles. What's your thoughts? What would that interview be like, Tate Fraser?
0: Well, he'd probably say what he said in the press conference after the game, which was nothing. He just said, I don't know. He just said, I don't know. He just seemed defeated. He just kept saying, I don't know. And then he said, we'll see. Uh so he seemed you, you said that the defense seemed to quit. He did seem very deflated after this game. And as a guy who was known for talking a bit, uh you know, similar to how people turned on Cam when things didn't go well. And you know, that, that just happens, comes with the territory. So a lot of people were going at Jalen Ramsey in that secondary and and a bunch of those guys on that defense. Uh we, we the only good play I could can remember is I think one time Dak Prescott turned back the other way and Ngakwe had a big sack on him, but the, that was yeah. about the only play that really stood out for that. No, they didn't they didn't defense. play with any
1: of intensity. I mean, I love Miles Dak. I could watch Miles Jack play all the time. And yep. he there was nothing there. They they were defeated. I mean, and this is coming off an embarrassing loss in Kansas City. I just think at this point, I think they're they're so tired of of their offense. You know, and they have they don't catch any shit. They catch no heat for passing on Mahomes. You know, I was bitching if they should have picked picked Watson, right? You know, like they should could you imagine if they had Watson <laughs> on that team? It'd be nice. You know, and, I think and really, but like, could you imagine if they had Mahomes? <laughs> now, look, I'll give, I'll give the, the, I'll give my man the the great equalizer some 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 slack here. That offensive line played like crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Cowboys' defensive front got after them. they played like crap. But that being said, I mean, they still need a quarterback.
0: And we we saw Randy Gregory uh, get a get a get a sack. Van der Esch was a guy that Van der Esch was a guy that had a good game. Jalen Smith, uh, your favorite player, had another another good performance for the like Cowboys. Jaylen
1: Smith. I just didn't think we need to make a complete. Uh, I didn't think we <laughs> needed to do a documentary 30-30 during the game on Jalen Smith. I just that's what I just. Didn't uh, think.
0: It's all it's all narratives. That's how it always. It goes. is
1: all narrative. It's hilarious, and they don't change. It's like NBC goes into the game with a narrative. Now look, I thought that the Patriots were jamming the shit out of Travis Kelsey. But the reality of it is, is, I mean, you know, they were jamming the hell out of Gronk, too. Like, at some point, don't you think we should have been entitled to see the game plan? Like, okay, here's what they're doing. Here's what the Chiefs are doing. I wasn't saying it as if they weren't getting called for it. I was just saying that that was the game plan that the Chiefs were using. Yeah. And
0: we like to see the tape. We like to see it explained sometimes uh, here on GM Street. So that, that is always nice. Uh, one other rumor before we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get narratives. But uh, one of the rumors that came up that I saw uh, on you know, some, some of the radio stations, TV stations, all that sort of stuff. Jacksonville considering the idea of maybe possibly trading for Eli Manning to get a quarterback down there in Jacksonville.
1: Well, they still wouldn't have one if they traded for him.
0: <laughs> that's what I was... Lombardi, you always deliver. That's what I was hoping for. Uh, that was the perfect setup. You know, setup. that's the
1: problem with free agency. When you sign a guy and you still need a guy, that's that means you didn't sign the right guy. It's the same thing. I mean, look, they can sign... You think Eli's not going to throw checkdowns? <laughs> I mean, they got the, they got Blake going throw checkdowns. Blake will also run Yeah, Blake can run. Yeah, Blake can run yeah. I mean, if, they, if Eli plays behind that bad line in Jacksonville, he's going to think the line in New York's really good.
0: Yeah, I don't think uh, – it would be interesting to see if Tom Coughlin were to do something like that. But just one thing, uh, food for thought. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back. We're going to do narratives uh, that have been going around the NFL, and then we're also going to do awards for Week 6. Guys, you've heard me talk about this for weeks, yet some of you are still watching football from the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, my bookie gives you the chance to create a big parlay – Pick three teams to win. If you hit all three, you'll turn $100 cash into $600 cash. It's pretty nice. There's so much to bet on playoff baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really, really trust them. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. MyBookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they'll be pulling that offer very soon. Log on to MyBookie right now and double your money. Use promo code RINGERNFL and they'll match your first deposit 100%. That's promo code RINGERNFL. You play, you win, you get paid. Back to GM Street. All right, and we're back. Uh, this is what we we used to do it on Sunday nights and try to guess the narratives for the week. But now we just react to some of the bigger narratives. But but first off, this Monday night football game is going on right now. We are recording while it's happening. Uh, and Lombardi, you have some thoughts on the Green Bay defense.
1: Well, look, I mean, Green Bay's defense is battleship football at its finest. I mean, they just dial stuff up and hope they hit. They just hit on a play. I mean, it's, you know, this is Mike Pettin, head coach of Cleveland, versus Kyle Shanahan, his offensive coordinator. And clearly, you know, I mean, they're just, Green Bay, there's no way Green Bay can win the way they play defense. Now, I think San Francisco's atrocious on defense as well. They play battleship football on defense too. I mean this is two battleship games. We should have like two eight year olds playing battleship against each other kind of off to the side. Down there where down there where Booger is, you know, they should be playing Battleship down there because both coordinators—that's the way they call the game.
0: We call it nerf football at that point. That would that would probably be the best <laughs> way to do it. Uh, I I do want to say one more thing about Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth about him losing guys and having young receivers not be able to get open because you know the Aaron Rodgers special is he creates more time and then you get open and he throws you the ball deep and it's magical when it all happens. Um, but but between him and McCarthy, I mean, will those fingers start to point if if we continue to see this bad of a defense and and this team struggle with like you said? Of having a franchise quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, as much as Derek Carr, we don't—we're not sure if he is a franchise guy. We all know Aaron Rodgers obviously is a franchise. Yeah, I, guy. I think
1: Aaron gets frustrated watching. I think he gets frustrated watching Patrick Mahomes and what Andy Reid's doing. I think he gets frustrated watching Josh McDaniels and what he does in in New England. He's like, why can't I get that? Like, why aren't I getting that? You know. And I think tonight he got a little bit of that. He got some naked, some bootlegs. Now they ran out of plays about midway through the th- first quarter. You know, they had these two huge drives. Guys were wide open and they're making plays and all of a sudden now they ran out and we will see what they can come up with in the second half. But to me, like I have said this to you a thousand times, I don't understand why they just don't leave Aaron Jones on the field and play him every snap. Mm. He's their best running back, you know, and, and I know he missed, he dropped the pass and maybe misses a protection. But to me, every time they put the other backs in, they're doing them. They're doing the, the defensive favor.
0: It does seem like they, uh, they're trying to do a little bit of a copycat with the, the Patriots, with the running back by committee and, you know, never yeah, know like, keep them on the toes. It's almost like McCarthy
1: has, yeah. has uh, the other running backs in his fantasy league. Like, it's really, like, seriously?
0: I don't know. Let's check it. We'll figure it out. Let's ask some people. Uh, <laughs> next next uh, narrative we have coming up, uh, the NFL is not expected to suspend Vontaze Berfic. Uh He had a big hit on Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown gets up, walks off the free field, goes through concussion protocol, comes back in the game, ends up winning the game uh, for the Steelers, as fitting as that is. But Vontez Berfic, a guy... Uh, <laughs> to say he's a repeat offender would be uh, a light statement at this point. But uh, he, he d- has this other moment. Uh, the NFL is not going to do anything about it. People are, you know, back and forth, up in arms about it. But but once again, uh, we're dealing with more Vontaze Perfect
1: uh, fallout. There, there's always going to be the case because anytime he has a hit, people are waiting to see what the league's going to do. Yep. You know, it, it just, it, that's, that's, that's the never-ending story. And that's, you know, obviously he's earned it by his reputation.
0: Yep, and that's uh, that's what we. You know go- the
1: narrative that we haven't talked about. And I like to bring it up. Like at some point, when's the narrative? What are they going to do in Denver? Mm. Now, mm. look, I know John Elway, the player, is a legend in Denver. There's, there's, they've got statues. The guy's the greatest player, one of the greatest players of all time. But this team's a mess. I mean, this team's a mess. And John John Elway as the general manager. If that would have been Michael Lombardi, the general manager of Denver, I'd be fired. Like, let's be real honest. I mean that that Super Bowl, that the dust would have been on that Super Bowl if you would be the GM or Lewis Riddick's the GM. He's gone. I mean, you know, you at some point you got to separate. And and they have no quarterback. The defense is worse. The scheme's horrendous. I mean, they got a chance to win. I mean, Case Keenum at eighteen million is the highest pay, is the, is the most overpaid backup in the history of the NFL.
0: And. Like you said when we were talking about the Jaguars, you made a decision in free agency to sign Case Keenum. You didn't go after a guy like Kirk Cousins, someone that you know people thought they may have a chance to go after. Um, and now you're at a point where you just kind of have to You have to lay in the bed that you made for yourself at this point. I mean, you signed Case Keenum. He is not living up to the expectation that you had hoped he would be as a franchise quarterback. That defense was just on the ground. I mean, Todd Gurley obviously dominated those guys. His career high in rushing, first time over 200 yards, 208 yards. Ironically enough, the exact career high that he had at Georgia. Um, which was very, you know, weird that that all works out like that. But just overall in Denver, just, just to see that defense get exposed like it did and to see that they have no answer on offense, uh, it does seem like there will be a reckoning at some point soon uh, in Denver.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I don't know where the ownership situation is. I mean, Bradley Chubb looked like the Bradley Chubb we saw at North Carolina State because finally he's not playing linebacker. He's not dropping into coverage. He started to rush, had three sacks. But, you know, the problem is they played nickel. And so if you play nickel against Sean McVay, he's going to run the ball up your ass. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to find a way to play nickel that's really a, a, a base front so you don't get Gurley. You know, the way you die against the Rams quickly is by just letting Gurley run for 200 yards. Now, the score, they don't get it to 30, but you're not going to win the game. You know, they're going to control the damn game. So I, to me, Denver, like like I keep saying this, and this is an Al Davis-ism, is, is 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 the only way we're going to make the playoffs is we got to beat Mahomes, or we got to beat this player and when you got a when you got a, a a gun you know Bonnie and Clyde they were the they had a V8 engine so the cops could never catch them because the cops were, were driving these 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 small engines and so the cops finally figured out you know we back then in the 20s people had to buy the cops had to buy their own guns and the the the, the crime guys had machine guns and they had fast cars and they could get away so eventually you know you 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 can't win that fight right yeah. It's the same thing that's going on in in Denver, you're not going to win this fight with this quarterback. We're not going into Kansas City and beating this guy with that. There's no fucking chance, right?
0: Yeah, there is no chance. And the ironic, the most ironic part of the whole thing is that uh, the greatest quarterback in Denver Broncos history,
1: he can't get the quarterback is right. Is the
0: one trying to find like he the quarterback. can't get it right. Yes. Nobody
1: wants to say it. It's against. The, it's like it's Bad Mouth and Eli Manning. You're not allowed to say it. You know, but well, but it's like he can't get it right. Like there's nothing wrong with not. I mean, we all make mistakes in scouting. We do. We all make them. I mean, he hasn't got the free agency right. Mm-hmm. Like, he hasn't gotten free agency right. And All fr- those offensive linemen, whether it's Ron Leary, who goes out with an Achilles this week, Mel- Melanick Watson, I mean, Jared Valdeer, I mean, they haven't got that right yet either. It isn't just
0: that. And it's you know in the draft it comes down to sometimes it's a crapshoot in the draft things don't work out whatever whatever but you know in free agency you have the tape you know who the player is for the most part we know who they are when you sign a guy um, so so it, there's not as much uh, leeway and there's not as many people that are willing to uh, to obviously give you a pass with that sort of stuff
1: yeah and I mean look he's look I mean he had he got he recruited the greatest quarterback and one of the greatest quarterbacks than Peyton Manning yep and even though Manning was dumb when they won the Super Bowl Manning's presence still helped them do that and they won it with their defense, and they had enough plays, and Kubiak could at least call and put together a game plan, which was effective. But the reality of it is this team's going over. They're going to fire the coach. I mean, two things we know for sure, right? It, you know, it's going to get cold in Jersey. They're going to fire Vance Joseph. They're going to fire Dirk Cotter. You know, th- those things, Mike Smith got fired already today, which makes no sense at all, Tay Frazier, considering that they're coming off the bye week, right? Yeah. You know, if you're going to fire the guy, fire the guy off the bye week.
0: It just seemed like a reactionary thing at this point, too, right? Just to to, to well, you know, you know that face. that's going to be wide
1: open down there. That 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 is, I call those teams unmade beds. They're so disorganized and so sloppy. Like that's not the NFL. like that's not the NFL. Now they got the Browns coming into town today this weekend. You know, could they beat the Browns? Sure, they could beat the Browns. Just like the Redskins could beat Carolina. You know, every team can beat anybody, but it's consistency that separates everybody else. And the Bucks are never going to have that.
0: Let's get to awards for the week. For week six, uh, this is obviously one of our favorite segments that we do. The first one that we have uh, is time to go in the lamb to someone that needs to get out of Dodge at the moment because uh, all eyes are pointing at them and and things aren't going too well. And I think we have a, an easy answer for this one, right, Lombardi? John Gruden.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know you know John was complaining about the airplane ride. He was complaining <laughs> about the flights and. You know, and all that over there. I mean, you know, I don't know if John can go on the lam. I mean, it's going to be hard to keep him away. I mean, he's got this phobia about flying. I didn't realize he had it. I mean, I've flown with him before. I didn't realize it was this bad. But, but I mean, look, I'm telling you, John has to have a serious conversation with himself. And he's got to really evaluate himself. And he's got to say, hey, look, I know I'm a great coach, but I may not be a great GM. i got to find somebody that I trust, completely trust, to come in here and help me build this team because right now i can't do it alone
0: and the good news is if you're john gruden you have a 10-year contract so you have plenty of time to figure those things out and uh we'll see what happens next up we have the fred palermo award a team that was prepared and ready uh for this week and we have to give it to our guy right jason garrett he did it
1: he did i thought he did a great job i think they did a great job of game planning them i mean they played well at home i mean they kicked the shit out of them and, and, and I liked what they did with Dak. I mean, they finally got Dak involved. Let Dak run a little bit. Let Dak use his athleticism. And, and I, so you got to give it to them. I, you know, Fred would be proud of, of Jason.
0: I'm very proud of Jason. I'm happy for the clapper. I, I like the, I like when we can be positive for the Dallas Cowboys every once in a while. So this is very nice Look, we for need us. That.
1: The league needs Dallas to be good. I want Dallas to be good. Look, there's nothing like the the Cowboy Redskin game this week. You know, I wish it was played in RFK stadium, but they're going to play the FedEx field. I mean, that, that's, that's what the nfl's about you need good thing. you need those two teams to be good right now they're not that's why that's why the nfc east isn't what it always is but when the nfc east is great the league's even better even though the league's great right now i told you this summer now people are finally starting to say it. there's a lot of great young quarterbacks in the nfl uh, you know if the once the nfc east gets a couple more great quarterbacks it'll be even better.
0: And people, you know, that are young and born in the 21st century and all that sort of stuff probably have no idea uh what that rivalry really used to be back in the day between the Cowboys and the Redskins. Oh no,
1: I mean, look, my Thanksgiving was ruined when Clint Longley came in off the bench and <laughs> threw the bomb to Drew Pearson and, you know, beat the Redskins after when Roger Staubach got hurt. You know, it's like, "Oh my god, how would this happen?" You know, like that 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 game is that game goes back so far that it, it, it's such a great game, it's such a great history to it. The Giants, Cowboys, Giants, Redskins. I mean, when those teams are dominant, the league's really at its highest level.
0: Next up, we have the KGB Award, uh, the team that snuck up and surprised. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, all the all the people putting the bets in uh, when once it was announced Brock was going to play uh, quarterback for the Dolphins this week. But Take yeah, you, the line you—I <laughs> should have
1: taken a picture of it and sent it to. You. I have never seen a line this long. Yeah. I think I thought it was. I thought they were giving food away. It was like when scouts know there's a free buffet, mm-hmm. the line gets big. It was like unbelievable, and you got to give Miami credit. I mean, and and I got to say this. I watched that tape today. Brock did really. But Brock threw bubble screens. I mean, Grant made a great play. Albert Wilson's way better than I thought he was. Way better than I thought he was. He made plays with his feet, and the Bears were exhausted. I mean, the Bears were dead. The reason I liked Miami early in the week is I thought the heat and humidity would get them, it would get Chicago down there. I thought they were going to wear the blue jerseys. They wore the orange ones instead. But I thought the heat and humidity would get them. There, were, You watched that tape today. There was like the, the Bears players couldn't run around. I mean, Khalil Mack was exhausted. The heat just, it just, once it zaps you, you're
0: done. Yeah, Mac had two tackles in that game. It was a lot of guys looking for oxygen at, at certain points in this one. Also, there was a bunch of weird tape that came out after this game with the the Dolphins with a bunch of safeties running off the line, and it led to a bunch of wide open. You know, it led to actually the leading touchdown late in the game uh, for the Bears, where Mitchell Trubisky just threw it to a wide open guy for for a touchdown. Well, so th-
1: Mitchell, Mitchell tried to throw an interception on the play before. Yes,
0: yes, he did.
1: Yeah, you know, he, he tried. He I mean, everybody thinks Mitchell play well. I mean, you know, okay, three touchdowns. The screen it. At- <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he didn't play well in the first half. I can tell you that.
0: I, you know, I, I we know the limitations at this point. But uh, I, I thought the Bears, I thought the Bears really had this one and a chance to pull it out. It did seem like at one point it was just inevitable well, really going to be with
1: ten with like three minutes to go in the third quarter, right? Yep,
0: yep, exactly, exactly. So uh, I
1: mean, di- all those all those people down in the uh, in, in the uh, casino were, I mean, they're, they're, the, the champagne was starting to come out at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, people were loving life. They didn't think Brock could come back, but Brock. Proved us wrong. Congratulations to the heist. This is a week of redemption. We get the Clapper comes back. The heist comes back. Uh, next week, it. I'm sure Blake Bortles... I was Bortles, so happy with the heist. <laughs> I'm sure Blake Bortles will come back next week, uh, which is comes to our final award of the week. If you don't know, now you know. Lombardi, what do we know? Uh,
1: we know that Jacksonville... You know, I call Blake the great equalizer, and I, 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 I'm not going to apologize because he is the great equalizer because they would be so much better if they had a quarterback. But I'm not sure the defense is playing to a level. I think we know right now. When you give up forty points one week, and you give up thirty the week before, you give up seventy points in two games. You're not a great defense. It's a little bit like in baseball. You know, when a great baseball great baseball teams never get shut out. Rarely do they get shut out. You know, they always get a run. They might they're gonna lose, but they get at least yeah, a run.
0: Sack bunt, just good base running, something like
1: that. Yeah, I mean yep. they they get su- great teams. Oh, great teams never give up forty points. And you say, well, Lombardi, your, your Patriots gave up 40. Yeah, they're not a great defense by any means. Trust me, you give up—you give up 31 points in 10 minutes. You can't be called great in anything.
0: You can't. That's just facts. Uh, this has been another edition of GM Street, uh, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We really enjoyed week six. We're excited for week seven. We will be back on Friday. Lombardi, enjoy your travels on the road. I'm I ex- will, I- Tay
1: Fraser. Come back Friday. I was 4 and 1 last week, Tay Fraser, even with the Miami. I'm on a roll now. 27 16 and 2, according to Brian.
0: Well, you're there on the ground. I mean, you're there. You're in Jersey. You're back home. I mean, I uh, 59
1: win percent. It's better than Billy Walters. I
0: Look, I'm impressed.
1: As Jim Nance would always say, bet, only bet as much as you want to win.
0: Perfectly put, perfectly put. Uh, I appreciate everyone listening to GM Street. We are excited to be back on Friday. We are excited to keep talking football, and uh, we hope that you guys all have a great day.